Hi, welcome, Hyacinth. Thank okay. you for having me. Yeah, Hyacinth Wilters Olsen. Interesting yes. surname. <laughs> so I must admit. So um, I, you know, I, I, I had this phone call with you, and you know, I, I'm still like in this stage of absorbing <laughs> your life and your work and your passion and the words you spoke, and hopefully we'll take all that element that we have spoken, you know, before that, you know, in this conversation today, so that you know people who are listening in could also feel your warmth. I, I would feel, you know, mm-hmm. as I was um, feeling when I'm talking to you. Mm-hmm. Um, Hyacinth is uh, a consultant, um, particularly on employee. Uh, well-being, mm-hmm. um, and you run something called the Yud uh, Consult. Yes, Yud Consult. Yud yes. Consult. Sorry, no problem. <laughs> You'll hear me like continuously, <laughs> you know, butchering you know terminologies and that. But I am making a huge amount of effort in trying to remember. Oh no problem. It's Y Y U D, so yeah. it will be pronounced in lots of different ways. It's a he- it's Hebrew word. Yeah. Yeah. And what does that mean? So um, it means the spark of creation, and the reason why I use that word is because um, Yod Consult is a spark that triggers people's personal journey of self-development. Mm. And that's in the workplace, something that we don't look at often enough, really. Yeah. Oh, wow. I love it Like when people come up with these names. And often I do that. I often go, what does that name mean? You know, what does mm-hmm. that company name mean? You know, and even our own names, I think, because I actually looked you up. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I realized it was a plant name. I was yes. like, oh, it's so beautiful. And yes. it means brightness, you know, and the sunshine. And I think that kind of symbolics for the work that you do, I feel. Um, and even with my name, you know, mm-hmm. honestly, I have so many people <laughs> pronouncing my name. Please do not pronounce my name as K-Man. <laughs> or Caveman, even on that. So um, it's common, by the way. So it's always a bit funny. Um, you also address yourself as the champion, um, uh, the chief people champion. Mm-hmm. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's my email signature. Um, it just means that, right, so we all need a cheerleader from time to time in our lives. And I have taken on that role of being people's cheerleader. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most times, you know, we're going through so many different things and we don't take the time out to really champion ourselves or cheerlead ourselves. And I've known times in my life where I've needed support from others and I absolutely love and thrive on just being there for others. And I do that now through Yod Consult, mm-hmm. um, where I'm helping people championing their um, well-being, their mental, whether that's mental, physical, and through my full-time job, which is at Fultabarn RS mm-hmm. as a, um, Com- commercial divisions leader, <laughs> head of department, <laughs> Dir- director of commercials. That is that how would you well, know? I, I'd say head of department. Head really. of department. Oh, okay. But the role that I really love in that yeah. is, you know, I I take care of all of the HR side of things, mm-hmm. and so I'm in my element because it's cheerleading people. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you are like uh, a people person, I must admit, when I first met you, I it's just like that <laughs> that warmth again and I, um, that I, I so cherished with certain people who are sort of get in their elements and mm-hmm. kind of like this uh, vibrancy, you know, this vibe that comes out, I feel like. Yeah. Um, 
So, first of all, I have to say thank you to Photo Baron for lending this beautiful place. You see us on social media um, posting so many cool like gadgets that they have here. We've been playing around a little bit ourselves, I must admit. And the office is stunning, I must admit. And they have these really lovely quotes. You're going to be seeing some of them. Um, I really love this one. I, you can't see it, but it's called it takes balls to stand out. Yep. Really, it, it does. <laughs> it does, <laughs> it does. Yeah. So that's kind of how I feel about that. So you're actually from Manchester. I am. You know, yes. that comes with the accent. Proud, man, <laughs> proud Mancunian. <laughs> Born and raised in Manchester, and you've um, you stayed in nine cities in in six countries. Yes. So. so when I was yeah, born and raised in Manchester, as you said, but when I was ten years old, mm. I moved to Jamaica, mm. and. Um, that was an uh, experience in itself. <laughs> mm. It was both positive and negative for me. Um, for the first four years, I absolutely hated it. And I literally almost cried every day. Mm. I wanna go home, <laughs> I wanna go back to my dad. Um, and the last two years that I was there, I loved it. And it really became paradise on earth for me. Mm. Um, but before moving to Jamaica, you know, growing up in the 70s in the UK, used to get lots of racial slurs, you black this, you black that, go oh. back to where you come from, mm. you monkey, you blah, 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 blah. So, you know, I didn't take any of it to heart. It was just the way of life, right? Mm. But when it hit me was when I moved to Jamaica, because when I moved to Jamaica, then it was, oh, English, English this, English girl, English this, English that. And I, and I kind of had this question, well, if I don't belong in the UK and I don't belong in Jamaica where my parents come from, then where do I belong? So at 16, when I moved back to the UK, I made a decision that I'd become a citizen of the world. Hmm. And I've literally done that. So yes, I have lived in nine cities in six countries. Hmm. Which, which one of these countries were, were like the most memorable? Uh, memorable for you? Uh, they've all been different. So I've lived in Greece. Um, hmm. I lived in Athens and Saloniki. And what was beautiful about that was the relationships that I had with the people mm. and, you know, they were just so warm, so welcoming. The food, oh my gosh, Greek <laughs> food. <laughs> um, the fact that when I was in Thessaloniki, I lived right by the beach and it was so amazing there. And the guys on the newspaper stand used to teach me Greek. So I'd go down there every morning oh, nice. and they'd teach me Greek words. So that was lovely. When I was in Denmark, I um, developed lifelong friendships and I was in Copenhagen. And I, I guess, stepped into a life experience that was so unexpected for me. Mm. Um, but it opened up the trajectory of, of, my, of my mind, so to speak. And I was sharing that experience with other people who were also in the same space. Mm. So I, I developed lifelong friendships. In uh, Norway, so I met my husband mm. and I have my amazing daughter as a result of living in Norway. Mm. The States, I've lived in New York and Florida. Well, when I say lived, my mother was living there for 30 years. And oh, so wow. I've spent long periods of time with mm. my mom. Um, and New York was fun. You know, just to go to Manhattan in my early 20s <laughs> and literally meet people on the street mm. and go out with them in the night and <laughs> go to all of these different clubs. New York had one of my all-time favorite clubs, Webster Hall, which mm. was so amazing. I used to love that place. And Florida, oh, fallen in love with Florida. So <laughs> she moved to Florida in the end and my dad now lives in Florida. Mm. So I absolutely love Florida. And then um, the other cities I've lived in is um, in the UK, I've lived in London and of course Manchester. 
Mm. So every place has been special in its own right. Yeah. Yeah. And what was the, what was the reason for you to move to that? Is it was because, was it because like oh you had um you know um, a dream to go to these places or, or what was the you know the spark that got you spontaneity uh, spontaneity is like okay I, I I haven't been to this country I'm going to try it out you know no actually so when I was 17 right. I was studying um, IT computer programming and mm. I really just didn't know what I was doing I was making a mess of it <laughs> and my older sister said why don't you go and study dance she said you've always really loved dance and um, <laughs> as I say that and I think of my sister I always start laughing because Sound of Music was my favourite musical oh, right? wow. and I okay. used to walk around the house going the hills are alive <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, a, that's a beautiful voice there already actually I think you can still do it you know? every time the musical came on, on TV she would be like turn it over quick <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, seventeen. I decided to go and study dance and theatre. Yeah. Um, dance, theatre, photography. Oh wow! And um, I I found myself, mm. and I discovered um, even more of a love for dance and music. So um, it lended itself to the life that I then lived, traveling, working, dancing. And it just meant that I could go wherever and always land a dancing job. Mm. And I've literally done every form of dancing that there is. Mm. Some good, some bad. <laughs> <laughs> but And I have heard about you, you know, using dance as a form of therapy as well. And we're going to dig into this part mm -hmm. because, you know, we've been talking about, uh, I've been interviewing people on, you know, do they feel like they're, they're surviving or thriving or both? You mm -hmm. know, and, and what, how would you define surviving and thriving for you? Oh, um, well, I've spent many years of my life surviving. And um, to be honest, I, I think sometimes we're not even aware that we're surviving. We mm. think we're living. Mm. You might have a good job, paying you a decent salary. Um, you may be in a relationship, but you know, it's do you feel alive? Is that, that electric current flowing through you? And to me, that's when you're thriving, when you actually feel like every fiber of your being is charged and mm. you feel this electricity, you feel alive. Um, but it's when we're living in congruency with our deepest values. Mm. When we're living in incongruency with our values, that's when we're just surviving, mm. yeah. So we also talked about, um, to me particularly, um, regarding the loss of your husband. Mm -hmm. And when was that? In 2017. 2017. So yes. That's about like four or five years ago? Uh, it five, yes, five, it will be yeah, five years, years this ago. year. Yeah. So I'll just clarify, he was actually my ex-husband, mm. um, but we were friends and had a good relationship. So when I found out that he had terminal brain cancer, glioblastoma, which is as terminal as it can get. Mm. Um, and from diagnosis until he actually left us was 11 months. Wow, that's yeah. quick. Mm. That was really, really quick. Yes. How did you process that? What was going through your mind and the feelings that you had when you knew like, you know, his life is gonna end, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, it was quite strange. So just to backtrack and, and give you a little mm, bit more of the history. Sure. At the time I was living in the UK, my daughter and I, we were in the UK, he was living in Norway. 
as I said, we always had a good relationship. Sometimes we would travel together throughout the years and do family holidays, but we split when my daughter was eight months old. So we had been divorced for 15 years. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. And um, so 2016, December 2016, you know, my daughter, she was what, 15, 16? Yeah, 16, she was born in 2000, so it's always easy to remember her. <laughs> You know, she's that yeah. age where she started to get in with the wrong crowd and make some silly mistakes. And, you know, I started thinking um, what, what was best for her hmm. um, in terms of growing up in Norway, growing up in the UK. So her father and I made a decision that we would send her back to Norway, just hmm. cut those bonds and those ties. So we sent her back to Norway on the 2nd of December 2016. <laughs> and she called me every day crying <laughs> mom can I come home please I promise I'm gonna be different oh. and I was like no darling you need to be with your dad now you need a change and you mm. need to you know make different choices in your life but what we didn't know at that time mm. was it was actually a blessing in disguise so he took her out for dinner and dated her every single day just trying to woo her back to the the idea of living in Norway mm. On the 2nd of January 2017, exactly one month after she moved back here, he was diagnosed, well, he collapsed in the gym and he went to the hospital. They didn't know what's wrong. At first they thought it was a stroke. They did all the tests, ruled it out. So they cut his head open. I remember oh, he had God. stitches in his head and looked like Frankenstein. Oh, and um, the 3rd of mm. January, he was diagnosed with glioblastoma stage four. Stage four, wow, yes. that's really late stage. Though. Yes. Oh. So there I was, you know, like a month and a half into a brand new job and really just kind of finding my footing in this new job in the UK. Um, heartbroken because my daughter was away from me mm. um, and thinking, oh. So when I got that news, you know, he called me and he was like, well, will you come? Will you come over? And I thought long and hard about it. He was my ex-husband for a reason. Mm. Um, but I didn't want my daughter to live through that trauma on her own. So it didn't take me long to think about it. By the end of the week, I was on a plane coming over here. I hadn't moved at that point, but I made the decision within a couple of weeks to say, yeah. And I, I literally left family, friends, job, home, church, social circle mm. to move back to Norway, the place that actually I felt the most broken in my life. Um, to look after a man that I was no longer married to, but mm. who never needed me more than he did at that point as a wife. Yeah. That's extraordinary in, in itself. And also, like, I think it takes so much... Um, what's the word? Compassion, yeah. I think. It Thank takes you. so much compassion and courage mm. for you to uplift from an environment that you've been thriving in the UK mm. with all these people who love you so much who are be able there to be supporting you on yourself come here for your daughter yeah. really yeah and god I'm always getting teary now because <laughs> yeah. I'm also thinking you know because I think what resonates with me is because um when I came here I lost my mom yes so I was sitting with my own grief and loss yes. and everything and still trying to plow through the horrors of moving here in Norway in the first few years, and I and I think everyone can relate to that. Yeah. But for you, you you're coming with extremely heavy heart, mm -hmm. knowing that you'll be here and what you're going to be witnessing mm -hmm. was you are supporting your daughter. Yeah. You also need to be supported. I feel. Yeah. 
But then you have to have all this inner <laughs> strength to take care of your ex-husband who, yeah. you know. And I guess the worst part for me, you know, I'm just thinking I don't even think I answered your question, your prior question about how I dealt with it. But yeah. the worst part for me that. was um, feeling like I was walking into the lion's den mm. because I was moving back into a space that I ran away from, you know. I When I left Norway, I thought I'd never ever live here again. It was like firmly crossed <laughs> off, big red X, no. And yeah. I did visit um, for my daughter's sake mm. and spent the odd Christmas with, you know, her, her family on her dad's side. But that was really difficult for me to do. Mm. Um, purely because, I don't know if you've noticed this, uh, lots of foreigners <laughs> have been through a similar thing. Norwegians have a way of um, excluding you. When a relationship ends, you get dropped. And when I say mm. dropped, you can't even drop the mic like you <laughs> they drop you, right? Right. Um, so family, friendship circles, they literally cut you off. And so this life that you've been living with people that you think are in your corner, yeah. suddenly they disappear. Yeah. And you're left with the trauma of trying to figure out and navigate the space that you're in, going through this breakup. For me, it was a divorce and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but also having to live this very lonely existence and try and figure out what happened. Where did everybody go? And yeah. um, so I was returning to that space of these people who did that to me. Um, and that was, that was the hardest part. It wasn't, <clears throat> excuse me, it wasn't, necessarily returning to support him it was just that feeling of walking into the lion's den yeah and oh boy did I walk into the lion's den oh god <laughs> yeah. no and I, and I think like you know what you mean like obviously with me and my daughter's father and he's mm -hmm. Norwegian you know as soon as we like you know I I got I gained a lot of his friends right rather than my own way of making friends here okay. and I did have certain friends here um, from university, but very soon that that bond kind yeah. of just formed apart, and you are literally left by yourself. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, I was in some lucky, uh, in some ways lucky because my my daughter was still a toddler; she was okay. still very young, mm -hmm. and her grandparents, the Norwegian side, they were really helping a lot in taking okay. care of her, so mm -hmm. that I can go out mm -hmm. and network and try and find work and all sorts of things. But now that she's a little bit older, we kind of like. Right, you know, okay. it is, and it's also very different. Mm -hmm. I think because in Chinese culture, you know, you don't need to ask for help. Right. They were like, yes, they'll be on. You yes. know, will come to you, and does like even like with my some of my closest relatives that I feel like they're extremely close family to me in Hong Kong. They would WhatsApp me, they would text me, they would mm -hmm. call me just to see how I'm doing, mm -hmm. even though they're far away. And they would always try to figure out if they could come over. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, every family is different. I'm not saying like that's my whole entire family. Mm -hmm. My my family are dysfunctional in its own sense. So, <laughs> <Aren't we> but <laughs> but that but that isolation. Yes. That that isolation when you're on yourself, like trying to figure out everything, is one of the most vulnerable points. Yes, absolutely. Because you're so vulnerable with like you don't know who you can even ask for help when you're already in pain. Yeah. And that pain is exacerbated by then people that you care for suddenly isolating you, and it it almost magnifies yeah. the pain. It's like you put a, a a lighter to 
a, a flame and it just you know and I think it's also like the accumulation it's like it's it's this part that was falling apart yes almost and then on top of that, you're meeting with the system. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure you probably meet yes. with this UDI, whether the banks, yes. whether it's the hospitals, if you have to go to them. And, you know, they almost feel like, oh, I wish you learned Norwegian, yeah. you know? <laughs> and you're like, well, <laughs> I'm doing such a big sacrifice coming here, and that is what I get, you yeah. know? And you just, you, part of you feels so cold. I don't know about you, but if for me, that coldness came for at least years inside of me until mm-hmm. I actually sort of warmed up to, yes. you know, the city. And I think for me, it was meeting people and friends that really stood my side. But even though there were times when I relapsed again, you know, mm-hmm. it's this moment was like, I feel so alone. And I remember you saying it as well, you know, like there were times where, you know, no one was coming to visit you mm-hmm. um, when you're feeling at your lowest. And yes. it's like, no one's coming out. I was like, oh my God, I felt the same way last year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I was like so isolated and I tried um, to call people and no one's picking up and, you know, all that. Um, so I, you know, I'm, I'm deeply feeling, you know, your experiences, yeah. you know, because I think sometimes when you resonate, it mm. hits you harder. Yeah, even inside. absolutely. <laughs> That's how I feel. So I'm sitting here, I'm like, I, I'm kind of absorbing this you know, this pain of yours, you know, and, and also sharing sort of my pain in that. So so walk us through, like, once you landed here then and you have to sort all these things out. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I was just thinking about that in my mind. So um, round one, living here the first time, going through the divorce and leaving, it didn't hit me so much then because mm. I've lived through so much trauma in my life. I've become almost expert at just Packing it away, putting it in a box and not looking at it, right? Mm. But the second time around, you know, I'm much older. I had established friendships and, I mean, my social circle in the UK, I absolutely was just so in love with the people in my life, mm. right? Um, funnily enough, the year uh, prior to moving here, I walked one of my closest friends through a season of losing her own husband to cancer, and that was Mm. super traumatic. So I was still carrying the trauma of walking her through that season, because that was very heavy, and I watched, literally watched him decline Mm. and expire Mm. over the months, and I was right there with them every day. Um, So moving here, there was still some of that. And then there was the whole element of walking into the lines then not knowing what to expect. Um, I wasn't well um, myself and um, I had major surgery right before I moved here. (laughs) And I was not meant to be doing anything physical for at least a year. But, you know, I moved here three months after surgery. and decided to take on running the project that he set up. He set up a project raising money for brain cancer research. And, mm. you know, I was like, of course, I'll, I'll support you in that. Um, <clears throat> but I think the trauma was, you know, when he, when he passed, it suddenly hit me one day like, oh my gosh, all of this stuff that I'd been carrying, that I'd been pent up, and I tend to carry tension in my shoulders, so I get really heavy, tense knots in my shoulders. I've suffered with migraines for donkey's years. Mm. And so you see me popping these pills, right? <laughs> pop a pill, pop a pill, pop I a do pill. that too, so <laughs> I get it. <laughs> my, my friend's like, you're just like a professional pill popper. She's like, like Miss, she calls me Miss Hollywood, right? I'm always popping these pills just to survive. Yeah. Um, 
but it just really hit me because two weeks after he passed my daughter was 17 and she left she moved back to the uk and i was going no i you know i need to i need you to be here right now i you're grieving i'm your mum. Mm. i need to be able to comfort you and she just looked at me and she said mum, i want to do this my way i want to mm. grieve how i want to grieve and she said it's i'm going to be 18 in three months so you can either let me leave now or the day i turn 18 i'm out of here oh god <laughs> and i was just like and she left and that emptiness yeah he was gone 20 years of my life this man had been a part of my life for 20 21 years she he was gone she was gone there was a finality to Mm. to it and then suddenly i realized i don't have a job anymore because he was the face of the charity Mm. i hadn't been paid for months I'd, utilize, I'd used all of my savings to support him, support the charity, to survive, to furnish a brand new three bedroom home, to do this too. And it suddenly hit me that I was broke, <laughs> living in this place that broke me before. And this time it felt 10 times worse. And I was like, what is it with me in this country, <laughs> right? But there was no one to turn to, no one to turn to. And um, I had some, Mm. pretty lonely and heavy days and nights but actually I have to give kudos to a friend of mine Juliet um, she owns a, a, a business in Bishlet um, mm. Duke and Duchess in the salon mm. doggy salon she literally she came and found me and I met her when I first came to Norway in <laughs> 1997 she came and found me and she was like how are you mm. And I couldn't even reply. And she was like a source of life to me. Mm. She fed me. She she gave me money for food. She knew I didn't have any money. Mm. She, she was the only person really at that point in time in my life calling me. But when you've got one source of support, you don't want to tap out that source of support. Yeah. You don't and be a burden, it, right? right? Yeah, yeah, no, I get it, yeah. So. I didn't call her and there were times where she'd tell me off because she said, if you don't tell me when you need me, I don't know. Mm. But I was like, but you help me all the time and you're the only mm. person. Um, so yeah, it was, it was maybe the most difficult season in my life. Mm. And how I dealt with it was I had to, um, I, I dived into my faith. So I'm I'm a believer. I, I'm a Christian. I go to church. Um, <laughs> this in that season, I remember like jumping on the train from where I was living, on the bus, and there were times I didn't even have money to buy a ticket, <laughs> and I'd be going, "But God, <laughs> I'm going to church to worship you, and I don't even have money to buy a mm. ticket. Can you let your angels protect me, please, <laughs> so I don't get caught?" Um, mm. And I remember asking myself and asking God a question on a train one day, just saying, what is that fine line between sanity and insanity? What tips somebody over the edge? Mm. Because I feel like I'm barreling towards that fine line. Mm. 
because I don't think I can carry anymore. Mm. The pressure, I literally felt like it was a pressure cooker building mm. inside of me. Um, and at the end of my mum's life, when she was ill, she would have days where, she, you know, she'd be in pain and she'd say, you know, I'm ready to go. And I remember in that season having days when mm. I felt like that. Mm. I'm ready to go. Mm. I, oh God, it, it, it brings back so much of my own memory and sitting, um, I'm going to take a moment. Yes. <clears throat> and, I, and, I, and I think like this is the where, people feel like this is the point where you should keep talking sometimes. Yeah. But for me, I like to sit in that moment. Okay. You know. Um, Just take a breath. <laughs> Because <laughs> it, it came back, you know, when you were talking through, I was you know, literally going back to those moments of my life. Now, I'm not a Christian. Mm-hmm. I'm not religious. Mm-hmm. I'm spiritual in my own way. Mm-hmm. But I remember once when I, uh, that was a time when I was losing my mom to ALS. Um, I was not doing well with my job. I was thinking of becoming a researcher and I was literally sending applications to PhDs all around UK and in, in elsewhere and not getting back, you know, you're, you're basically competing against 200, 300 candidates. Yes. And you're like, okay, that's dead end for me. What do I do now? And then, and I remember when I came back to visit my daughter's father in Oslo. And again, so I, I got my heart broken. And I literally stormed into Domsjöke, which is mm. the one in Oslo, yes. center, the big one, yes. right? And I stormed right in. <laughs> and nobody, everyone was like looking at me and I was like crying my eyes out. It was like a very dramatic <laughs> going in. And then I, I literally landed on the ground. Yeah. Kneeled, my, kneeled to God to this cross, you know, mm-hmm. Jesus on the cross. And I'm like going, please now, this has to fucking end. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's like, I'm in so much pain now, this has to freaking stop. Mm. I was like, I can't take any of this. I don't know how to bear the weight, you yeah. know? And that was even before I had my daughter. And I kind of like, and then people were looking at me and I was like going, what is this crazy woman doing in yeah. the middle of the altar? <laughs> Praying yeah. to God, <laughs> this is so dramatic. And I was like going, and then I just sat there. I don't know even how long it was. And somehow, I don't know if God heard my prayer or whatever, but I went back on that plane back to, to, to back to England. And I had the most wonderful talk with my mom. And my, my mother and I had such a tension. We really mm. hated each other. Yeah. Almost. <laughs> but on her deathbed, you know, almost when she had the breath to talk and she was having this board. And this is one reason why I get into communication mm-hmm. because you don't need words. Yes. You know, sometimes it's just diagrams and eye contacts. Mm-hmm. And then she was saying like, um, have the courage and the bravery to do whatever you want in your life to yes. find happiness. Yes. And I, and I kept hold of that and I yes. did everything I could with that. And then, you know, even now, like last year, I w- went through the, the most horrible thing in my life that I couldn't even think about. And, um, and I just like this letting go when mm-hmm. you were thinking about that. And I was thinking about that too. Yeah. I want to let this go. Yeah. I want to let all of it go. And um, that was where I'm like, all right, maybe I'll just take off. Take my life, take my life, you know. And I, I remember just, just sitting next to the balcony 
when they, and I'm looking out there for a long, long time, longest time in my life, and there was my daughter, you know, she was not happy and all this stuff, and I'm like, how can I get out of this, you mm-hmm. know? I think sometimes it's like, we don't want to die. I don't yeah. think, like, the, the end goal is, like, we want to die, but we just want this pain just and want this it to stop. Yeah. Yes. Let it go. Yeah. You know, like, have something left out, yeah. you know? And I think that's the thing that I think, like, in all of this is trying to find a way out of it. And I think, like, what moved me with you was the faith. Yes. And I think we had a commonality there. Mm-hmm. That we both found faith in the darkest moments. Yes. And I think it's also that little sense of hope as well. That, yeah. th- that's sticking out the back of my mind. Like, if I lived a little bit longer, would my life change? Yes. You know, is there something I can do now? And I think that that's who you are. That's where your strength comes in, is yeah. that I've gone through this again. I've gone through my traumas. Let's try and pick myself up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right now I'm feeling shit. I'm going to sit in my pain, but I feel like I need to try and almost come out. And when you have faith, it's, it's not that certain religious faith. It's a faith in yourself. Yes. And it's, it's just the, it's, it's the courage to believe again. Mm. Right, so in 2018, um, like I said, he, he passed 12th of November 2017. Mm. Um, December 2018 was a blur. Sadie moved. Um, and so January 2018 was just like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do, right? <laughs> um, and so I sat down and I was like, right, um, I always love to write. I've always loved to write. And um, in fact, while you've been talking, <laughs> I've had snippets of different things that I've written <laughs> run through my mind. Mm. Um, but I sat down and I wrote a book and uh, I haven't published it yet. It's called, F- it, well, the original title was Faith First Formula and it was an anagram of faith. Mm, I remember saying. Um, yeah, but I broke it down and... I started looking at, I broke it down so the F represents our fears. What are what are the main fears that we have and why do we have those fears? And I was looking at my own fears and, and going, okay, how do I come these, overcome these fears? Yes, you're living literally in the lion's den right now, mm. but are you going to let them conquer you or are you going to conquer them, mm. right? I looked at the A, um, giving ourselves authority. And I was like, Hyacinth, right now you need to give yourself authority to be who you were created and destined to be and that is not this person that okay you've had a terrible thing happen you're going through the trauma um i also had to give myself authority to feel the pain and live through the pain and not feel like i needed to shut it off Mm. but channel it in the right way Mm. and then i um, looks at our ideation. So I thought of all of these ideas I've had downloaded into my into my psyche, into my spirit. And for me, I wake up in the middle of the night and boom, I have these ideas and I write things down or I have these dreams. And so if you go through my phone and my notes, <laughs> it's full of ideas, <laughs> right? Um, in fact, before I moved here, I'd set up a training company in the UK and within the first year of... Um, its existence, I was nominated to as the best training coaching company in the UK, you know, just because of how I was delivering the training, you know, and again, people centered, right? Yeah. And so the T is the truth of who we are, you know, 
what is your truth? Your truth might not necessarily be my truth. Mm. Your truth might not be your mother's truth or your father's truth. What is your truth? Mm. And the H is our history of hope, or like say future history. You know, what legacy do you want to leave behind mm. and why? You know, is your life going to just be about yourself or is it going to be bigger? Is it going to be greater than you? So when I started sitting and thinking about this whole concept and started writing, it just started flowing out of me. So in the midst of this traumatic time, mm. I just sat and I just wrote. And it was the only thing I could do. When I wasn't writing, I was sitting, staring out my window, looking at the trees. And it was winter. I'm looking at these evergreen trees and I could see this limb on this tree and it was swaying in the breeze. And I looked at this limb and I thought, that limb is not doing anything to survive. The only thing it's doing is being its best self. That staying plugged in, being fed through the, the trunk, which is being fed through the roots of the tree. Mm. So that's all I needed to do. I needed to make sure that I was feeding myself the right things to make sure that all my limbs my brain, you know, my spirit, my soul, that it just, that it could thrive. Yeah. I'm so sorry, let me just uh, um, silence this, I thought I did, so. Yeah. Um, can I grab a tissue? Or maybe I can have it. <laughs> it's like, I'm looking very ugly. Here, have my sleeve. <laughs> I know, I was thinking, like, I should, like, t take this off and, like, switch to dinner, so I felt like it's, yeah. like, weird. So, um... Thank you, thank you. Sorry, I have, this, I have this effect on people. They just sit with me, they start to cry. I'm, oh. I'm, I'm only joking. But I, think it, but, <laughs> but I think it's the same with me sometimes, but I think it's just that, I think the thing is about us is that we, I wouldn't say, we went through something similar and the emotions are similar yes. in a certain way. Yeah. And I can't really say like, I've gone through everything you've gone through, but I I can feel it. Yeah. You know, I, it sends me back to my own trauma, traumatic experiences here, and my own journey through that pain. Um, and you get flooded back yes. you know, into that state. Absolutely. Can I ask you, when did you say your mum passed? My mother passed in 2010, December 16th. Okay, December 16th. Yeah. And it was also the time that I found out I was pregnant. Okay. So it's like, <laughs> like you. Right. All these things accumulate, right? It's just yeah. like a whole entire thing. And even now, I'm still living through... You know, I feel like I processed the, the grief, you mm -hmm. know, I feel like I have processed in yes. a certain way. Um, you know, all, all of the, you know, things that that happened between my mom and uh, up to this point, you know, and but I didn't realize like all the suffering I'm still continuing to have like in the last five years or so is sort of a reputation or, or repeat of certain things. Mm -hmm. um, well, I don't know. I think maybe I just have bad luck <laughs> over here. It's just like, you know, when you no. come into it, you're just like, oh, why is this happening? You know, it's, it's very sometimes. And I started going into Dr. Gamo Mata. Mm -hmm. I've spoken to you a bit. Yeah. And he has this quote that he got from A.L. Um, uh, Almas, I think mm -hmm. he, he, um, he said. And it, it explains the fact that, you know, there are things that put in your road. Yes. As only for you. Yes. Because those events love you so much for you to get closer to who you need to be. Yes. And I'm, I'm sort of believing in that. Yeah, you know. And I've, I've, I've kind of switched my way of of thinking about my life and life circumstances. Say things are not happening to me; they're happening mm. for me. Mm. Because I can honestly say, 
as traumatic as this season, this last five years have been, I've never been a better version of myself. Mm. That's because I've evolved because of the trauma and through the trauma. I've learned how to do that. And the reason why I asked you about when your mother died mm. is because here you are sitting, your mum passed away in 2016, right? So it's six years ago. Yeah. Oh, sorry, 2010, 2010 yeah. right? So, so 12 years ago, mm. right? And you're getting upset mm. about, you know, sitting and thinking about that. How many of us, that's why I do what I do, right? That's why I go into a workplace mm. and try to get employers to see that their team members are intersectional. They have all of this stuff that they carry with them. We don't leave mm. our traumas at home. Absolutely. And that's why I'm, I'm a champion of people. And I, I love on my team members because we all carry our traumas with us. We all carry um, these bits of baggage with us. And I, with in Photobound where I work, I have a thing called Coffee Dates with Mama H because I just want to give people a forum to talk. Mm. And it's not about work. Mm. It's not about anything to do with that. I just want to know about you. Tell me about you. How's life? You know, and I've had people tell me some awful traumatic things that have been happening to them. But the fact that they've been able to talk to me about it and they've been provided a safe space, they've cried and they've thanked me and they've said, you know what, I had nobody else to talk to. And it's so vitally important for employers to learn how to have more human-centric workplaces because we're not machines. I totally agree with that. And yeah. I think, like, um, you know, one of my reflection pieces on LinkedIn was talking basically that because mm -hmm. I went through my own trauma mm -hmm. and I felt so isolated and I started thinking in workplaces, mm -hmm. if people would just open up that space, you yes. know, to be compassionate towards each other, to allow your employees to go through those emotions. Mm -hmm. And now I think, like, sometimes people feel like, being emotional is a taboo, it's very negative, it's a sign of weakness. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it is because I think, like you said, we're human beings yes. and we need to get in touch. And like Even like this conversation, I could be as corporate, as very journalistic as possible yeah. in like, you know, shutting down my emotions mm -hmm. and just like talk it through. But I feel like that's not who we are. And no. I think like the more that we're trying to, you know, build up a facade in a certain way, um, pleasing other people, pleasing a social construct, I would mm -hmm. say, we're losing ourselves. Yes. And when we do lose ourselves, and I think the pandemic has taught us a lot of looking inwards, mm -hmm. it's like all our feelings sort of boiling that in, you know, that cooked inside of us, it started like, bam, it comes yes. everything out. And we're trying to move forward closer to our being, mm -hmm. in a sense. So I think that's the great work that you do, and that's what it brings. So how does it feel like, you know, with the, the work that you're doing, do you meet resistance from the certain organizations you're working with, any Norwegian companies that you work with that um, <laughs> are open to this even? <laughs> um, well, to be honest, I don't have many Norwegian clients mm -hmm. at the moment. Um, and I'm, one of my goals is to really break down the stereotypical way of working mm. because in Norway they're quite accustomed to oh if somebody's expressing some emotional trauma or you know emotional feelings or someone's going through a kind of a breakdown they'll go oh go to the doctor and it's just normal that you get signed off when you sign off on the sick and mm. that's it yeah. you know that's not mm. compassionate leadership you know, so there's a tool that I like to um, 
deploy called um, a, a wellness action plan. Mm. And the wellness action plan is literally a plan that gives the employee, it empowers the employee because it will say, these are the things that I'm struggling with. These are my triggers. This is how you can support me. You know, why don't we implement? Why Why are we not like, I find that they're very reactive here rather than being proactive. Mm. So my mo- the bulk of my customers are in the UK. <laughs> yeah, bulk of my wow. customers are in the UK. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the aim is to, you know, grow the business here in Scandinavia as well. Mm. So I recently got accepted on um, Google Norway's business development um, incubator. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and hopefully through that, you know, um, be able to talk more about the project and make some new connections within Norway because this is so vitally important, especially now. Mm. The the danger is that after the pandemic, we all try to get run so fast into trying to re- regain what was normal, but what we knew is gone Mm. life as we knew it is dead Mm. you know this is a new normal Mm. and we have to create that new normal Mm. no i i totally agree and i think it's the time is now yes in honesty i think like there we're changing i mean we even with the ocds that we're working into you know i'm i'm being much more focal about trauma Mm -hmm. being much more focal about Mm well-being and also as journalists as well i think that one of the things that i that I often see your work come in is mm-hmm. actually I feel like the newsrooms in this country really need to have yes. someone like you to to kind of guide them through those parts because I don't think people understand like as journalists we hear stories all the time yes and it, it's a huge range yeah it can be almost to the point where you hear someone being murdered to, yes. to the point where it could be something someone losing a um, you know a friend's life or yeah. you know going through that or even mm-hmm. a colleague that has lost his life to colleague uh, mm-hmm. uh, COVID or anything like that so I feel like you know we have to kind of go back into ourselves you know again in, in that wholeness and well-being is how do we manage that cope with our pain whilst we keep going on the work life that we have yeah is there support so, you know yeah. is other measurements put in place are there processes procedures put in place for support so mental health awareness for example mm. you know where you can offload some of that because you carry all of that stuff mm. and it's traumatic to mm. carry all of that plus your own personal stuff yeah. i had a conversation with my doctor recently and um i first of all i just asked him how are you and his response was like wow Thank you for asking that. Mm. No one ever asked. And he was like, I'm fine, da da da. So I asked him, you know, you're a general practitioner, and in Norway, the general practitioners, they literally do everything. He performed like mini surgery on me. Mm. Um, and I, I said to him, you know, you, you see all of these patients that are coming to you with all of their woes and their worries. Mike, do you actually sit down and get support? Do you, are you able to talk about this stuff? Are you able to offload? And he was like, no. And I was like, what? And I said, so we don't care for the carers? And he was like, no. I said, well, don't you think something should be done about that? Exactly. Exactly. And I think that um, that's a good note to to end this, but also um, what is your last takeaway message for perhaps immigrants who are coming over? Um, I would say start with you. So we sometimes are so focused on the external 
things that are not happening for us, the people who are not opening doors for us. But I'd say start with you, you know, do you actually really and truly know yourself? What are your core values? What are your drivers for this new season of life? Um, what do those values represent? Um, what social impact you want to make? What impact you want to have for your family? What future impact you want to have? And just always stay on top of your evolving self mm. and those drivers will open the right doors for you. When you're living congruently with your values, you will find the right spaces to be in. Fantastic. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today and sharing, you know, some of your deepest, you know, um, I guess, moments of your life that really shaped you to who you are yeah. today in certain ways. And I think you're such a beautiful soul and beautiful being. And thank you. Um, thank you for opening up. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> pleasure. Absolute pleasure.